This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thank you for listening to the Mutual Audio Network. Please don't turn that dial. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. This podcast is a serial narrative, a story told episode by episode. Consequently, your listening journey would be best begun at the beginning. That's Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective, Episode 1. It is the year 2015, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives to broadcast from a South Seas barge crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, the sublimity, of rude alchemy. Previously on Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective. That's it, lads. Put your backs into it. I heard the screams around the time the thunderstorm rolled in. I've never seen anything like this, have you? Carver Cranebottom, PhD. And you say there is only one surviving witness? Not long ago, he began scribbling this. That's nonsense. Pure chicken scratch, I'd say. Let's have a look at that cipher of yours. What? No! Ah! He's thrown himself from the window. Stay where you are. Help! Help! My master is dead! Joe, what you in for, Carver? Slash, slice, sink, or sliver, the tickler's grin will deliver. Presence on a chain shortage. Two con wicks and chain. What, what exactly is your name? Butcher. Butcher Badler. I can get out any time I want. I'll bring you along on one condition. You help me with the young bone-related robbery. All right, you two against the wall. You're being transported. Take this. Dear God! Where have you two been? Let's be the best goddamn tour guides we can be. Oh God, imposters, police! Quiet, you! Dear God, what have I done? Why don't you finish it? What? Of course not. What's in there? A half-moon-shaped blade with large, almost tooth-like serration. Dear God, the tickler's grin from Dr. Danderduff's cipher. Cranebottom, give me my payday right now or I'll brain you. Stay back. All right, bone detective. Let's have a look at your bones. (laughs) Damn you, Cranebottom! Who, who are you? Well, dear listener, I am certain you can confirm from first-hand knowledge that it has been a long, excruciating, twitch-filled wait for the Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective Fiend. In the cause of mercy, I shall not stand in the way of your much-longed-for, although almost certainly fatal fix, for another moment. Not. One. More. 
no mint. Enjoy, dear. Listen. Uh. Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective is brought to you by Braff's Knee Socks, endorsed by Ohio County Marble Champion Dougie Gillespie. He's good at marbles, so his knee sock choice is beyond question. Braff's. In the cobwebbed crypts of the British Museum, our hero Carver Cranebottom lies. The struggle spawned sweat from his tussle with Butcher Bagwell now icily claws his spine from below as the deceased maniac smothers him from above. Bits of brain glow dully in the haphazard placement, like the scattered pieces of some children's game untouched since the last cataclysm. The bowl of Butcher's skull yawns wetly as Carver huffs and heaves at the hawking homicidal heretic. The footfalls of his savior's approach cease their clacking upon the time-worn stones, and only silence remains. Who's there? Who's there, I say? Who are you? What have you done? Saved your life, didn't I, Carve? Basil! Basil, is that you? Basil, you old... Devil, what the blazes are you doing here? The fellow who oversees the museum's tours reported intruders. I was dispatched to investigate. Lucky I heard the shouts and followed them down here. You've... you've got some explaining to do, Carve. There now, old Baz, you're shaking like a leaf. Help me get this old sack of nasty off my willy bits. I'm... I'm not even going to bother from here on out. Oh, good lord. There we are. Well done, Baz. Baz, why are you stood there like a ghost? You're a wanted man, Carver, an escaped murderer. Now, now, I can explain everything. Maybe you had best put the dagger down first. This thing? This is what old Butcher Bagwell wanted to have me off for. Hello? No? He wanted to have me off for it? Nothing? I said I wouldn't be bothering, so I won't be. So, anyway, he wanted to off me for this. See how quickly everything writes itself when you don't call attention to it? Aha! Good lord, Runyon, you can't... I can't what? Do the job I'm paid to perform in a manner that is both efficient and stealthy? No, you don't, my foot! You can't go slamming down on my foot every time you find what you're after. Ah, Mr. Cranebottom! Dr. Cranebottom? Why not Killer Cranebottom? I beg your pardon! Carver... You're wanted for the murder of Dr. Danderduff. Wes killed himself, Baz, you must believe me. Threw himself from the window after he read the cipher. He translated it. What did it say? A silly rhyme. At least that's what I thought until I found this blade. Because, Baz, I think the madman's cipher describes the infernal thing I'm now holding. He called it the Tickler's Grin. You think Mad Professor Hornsby was trying to send a message about a dusty dagger tucked away in the crypts of the British Museum? 
I'm not certain, but that's why you must help me out of this dreadful place so we can return to the case. I'm afraid even if I did want to go along with your ridiculous scheme, Basilton's gunshot will no doubt have alerted the others. Others? Oh, yes, sorry, Carve. Runyon and I were just one team of several sent to investigate. It is the British Museum, after all. Sort of a big deal kind of a place. Oh, blast, I'm caught for sure. What, what am I, then? You weren't certain you were caught when I arrived? What about me? I, I was the first one on the scene. Look at you two, how adorable. Basil, of course I know you won't capture me because the case has got you curiouser than a cat at a fish orgy. And Runyon, you won't capture me because FISTFUL OF CRICK DUST! Ah! Oh, oh, my eyes! Quickly, Baz, let's away! Carver, Carver, I say! This way! That way? Come along, hang it all! Carver, I think that it's actually over here. Are you certain? There should be a staircase. Well, I suppose I'll listen to you. After all, I arrived by sliding down a very old and dangerous-looking tunnel shaft. Oh, how terrifying. Yes, indeed. Why, that shaft had me on my bum and sore and panting by the end of it. Is he... Is he not doing the interrupting thing? I guess not. Moving on. Uh, sorry, sorry. I just I just flat out missed that one. I was, um... Uh, I was making a sandwich. So you say there's a staircase as well? Yes, I definitely came down a staircase. Oh, you know, let's ask Runyon. I bet he came down the same one. Hey, Runyon? Yeah? You wouldn't happen to remember which way to the staircase, back to the surface? Yeah, you're gonna want to make a, a left at the chandelier made of upside-down crucifixes. Wait, the ones made from the bones of unbaptized infants? No, 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 no. The ones made from the charred roof beams of the homes of the 14th century Spanish martyrs. Uh, okay, got it. What's next? Okay, now, now, you want to head down the corridor of spooky grandfather clocks. Now, before you ask, it's the one with the hour and minute hands that are actual delimbed hands. Okay, of... Of werewolves. Okay, wolf clocks, great. So, anything else? Yes, and post-haste, if you please. Yeah, so, at the end of that corridor... Why would I help you? You threw crypt dust in my eyes! I thought we had something really going there, Runyon. You really did actually agreeing on issues, working through problems. Look, I'm not going to help you because we agree on things or work well together. I'm going to help you because I want to know what this dagger's got to do with the missing phone. Most excellent! Hurrah! Now, shut up and listen. Because the others will be on us any second. And when they find Butcher Bagwell murdered, you'll be considered the most dangerous fugitive in all of England. You're going to have to hide out until things settle down. Go to the Inn of the Circling Serpent in Grubgate. It's safe there. Grubgate? Ew. That place is full of garbage people. Thank you, Runyon. And, uh, sorry about the old dusty eye. Now, how do we get out of here again? Runyon gave them directions filled with frightening descriptions of the miscellaneous blasphemy haunting those curling catacombs. The pair got lost only once in the shadowy crypt. But luckily they got help from a tall, thin man with pale skin and wide-set eyes, who said he was, and I quote, waiting for someone and she must have been running late and no, I'm sure I don't want to join you because she'll show up, I know she will, and what would mother think if I came home and told her I didn't wait for her, what if she showed up just as I left and now I'll be alone forever? Carver shook his head in disgust as he thought the man needed the company of a less important feeling woman. Basil wet his trousers, as he thought the man was a ghost. 
the two men commenced a harrowing journey to the dimly lit section of the city known as Grubgate. A journey filled with narrowly avoiding the police who were now ravenously seeking the runaway crane bottom, including a particularly thrilling incident where a bobby with a bristly walrus mustache spotted the sneaking duo, but when he followed them and turned a corner, there was just a very tall, well-postured old lady pushing an oversized baby stroller with a crying adult-sized baby inside of it. And the pram and their clothing seemed assembled from garbage and rags that could have been pulled from a rubbish heap nearby. But that wasn't very likely, was it? No, it was definitely an almost exceedingly handsome old lady and a husky-voiced baby with thin, hairy forearms. After all, Grubgate was a known gathering place for many various garbage people. Eventually, the musty couple stood before the inn of the circling serpent, soiled and sodden. Above the doorway, a metal snake coiled in a perfect circle, devouring its own tail. They shivered at the sight of the emblem, but were quickly lured by the warmth of the sooty oil lamps flickering in the cozy lobby within. A small fire crackled in the crumbling hearth, but no one was there to tend it. After a moment... While Carver traced his finger along the cracks in the stone wall, and Basil adjusted his coat to conceal the slightly darker fabric at the crotch of his pants, a beautiful young woman quickly descended the staircase. Tendrils of her raven hair swept across her dull jade eyes as she cast a sideways glance at the soggy pair. But what was most curious was her apparel. She was bedecked in the clothing of an adventurer, a dusty coat covering a khaki shirt, a pith helmet tucked under her arm, and, most egregiously of all, she was wearing pants. Pants! Of all the ridiculous... Is something the matter? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. The woman swept out the front entrance before Carver could devise some clever bit of repartee with which to convince her to fornicate with him. And yeah, she was still wearing pants. When Carver turned to address Basil, a tottering old woman now stood behind the counter. Welcome to the Inn of the Circle and Serpent, gentlemen. Gah! Gah! Oh, my! You may put away your scary-looking knife, sir. I mean you no harm. Yes, of course. My apologies, madam. Where did you come from? Now, now, Basil, she is obviously the proprietress. She looks like a corn husk that tried to swallow a litter of rat pups. She's just an old woman. Ugh. How long will you gentlemen be staying with us? Uh, just a moment, if you please, madam, while we confer on the matter. Ugh, she gives me goose flesh. Look at her neck. It looks like an old leather coin purse that's been buried for ages and dug up by a crazed wolfhound. How much money do you have, Basil? I I'm afraid my wallet was withheld at the police station. Ooh, look at her eyes. They're all roomy, like her tear ducts are full of chalk dust and goat's milk. Do you take your time, gentlemen. I won't be going anywhere. Nowhere but the seventh circle of Hades, the harpy. Blah! I bet if you lifted her earlobe from her head, it would unfold like the inside of a bat's wing. How long will this get us, madam? I'm sorry to say, this won't cover a night. But several hours, perhaps? Uh, I can offer you the room beneath the stairs for two hours.
ways. We'll take it. Come along, Basil. The two followed the old crone into a darkened hall where various paintings hung. In the waning light, they could discern depictions of several grisly scenes, including one of the mouth of a great cave with half-emerged figures waiting at its entrance, a pair of burning eyes floating high above their heads. Another painting portrayed a hunting party of centaurs chasing down a group of women. The centaurs' bows were raised, ready to release flinty death into the sheening breasts of their horrified quarry. The last and most chilling showed a beautiful sycamore tree, its curling branches serving as gallows for a host of naked figures dangling horribly from their nooses in the dusk, while the headsman stood at its roots, his hood removed, staring expectantly into the fore sky, as though he was looking just beyond the viewer's own shoulder for a long-awaited visitor. I thought we were staying in the room beneath the stairs. You are, sir. Did we not leave the stairs back in the lobby? We did, sir. The room where you'll be staying sits beneath the cellar stair. Oh, good God of charity and grace. Let's take our chances on the streets, Carve. Hush now, Baz. We'll be safer where we're concealed. You remember what Runyon said. We have to let the search die down. You'll feel much safer in here, away from all the nasty garbage people. Come this way. The old matron unlatched the locks on a door hewn from a massive oak, which groaned on its rusty iron hinges when she began to pull it open. She produced a pitiful nub of a candle and a match to light it with, before carefully descending the ancient steps. Carver followed close behind, but Police Constable Basil Basilton froze at the top of the steps. He watched his old friend disappear into the nightmarish gloom behind the hobbling hag. Carver? Carver, I say? Let's away from here, old chum. That Runyon sent us here on purpose to scare me senseless. I know it. He hates me, you know. Come back up, Carver. If anyone tries to stop us on the street... I'll simply show them my badge and explain everything, Carver. Carver? Basil stumbled blindly down the stairs. In the darkness of the cellar, he discerned a dull glow leaking from a door beneath the stairs. He wobbled warily towards it and pushed it open with a creak. The tiny room was cramped but seemed entirely larger than he had imagined it would be. A small fire burned in the crude hole in the wall... The room contained several ancient wooden pieces of furniture, a few stools, a bench, a splintering shelf, and a dusty old cabinet. But Carver Cranebottom was nowhere to be seen. What the devil is that noise? It's almost as if it was coming through the... But no. But yes, it is. It's coming from the cabinet. Basil opened the cabinet door, and through the darkness was able to detect a faint reflection far off within. Good Lord, it's some sort of tunnel, a hidden passage. Basil groped amongst the blackened tunnel. My, how he groped. He knew not what he groped for, but still he groped, furiously, maddeningly, longingly imagining the sheening object of his groping desire. Hey, why are you allowed to do it? Because I am! 
Eventually, he came to a ladder he then began to climb. At the top, the tunnel continued where he saw slits of light spilling across its length. Voices mingled with the muffled singing as his senses fully adjusted. The other rooms of the inn. I can spy upon them all. These secret hallways must snake through the entire building. No wonder that disgusting old crust appeared seemingly of thin air. But what is that infernal singing? Basil stalked in the shadowy passage and watched the other inhabitants of the inn. He saw a husband and wife readying for bed. Are you ready for bed, wife? Not yet, husband. Typical. He saw a painter painting a portrait of a nude woman. A little to the left. A little to the right. A little nuder. More nuder. More. More nuder. More. Little more nuder. Little more. Nice. Basil continued on as the music grew louder. He peered into one of the inn's largest rooms, a meeting room of sorts, and watched in awe as a congregation of garbage people, actual garbage people, cloaked in waste, powdered in cinder, stink lines reaching to the very roof beams, sang their garbagey song. The garbage people are like an actual club or something. I thought it was just what we called the disgustingly poor. Learn something new every day. At last, Basil came to a brightly lit room with a high-backed chair, and sitting in it was none other than Carver Cranebottom. There you are, Carver, for the love of the Lord. How do I open this door? What's that? Uh, hmm? uh, <coughs> uh, <coughs> Basil? Oh, I do wish you hadn't disturbed my nap. I was in dire need of a rest. Here, I'll, I'll let you in. What the blazes are you doing? How did you find your way into here? Well, I'm not entirely certain. <clears throat> Something sort of led me here, I suppose. Uh, an intuition, you might say. I'm full of them, you know. That's not all you're full of. Ba-boom! <laughs> Sorry. The room was empty, Baz. That's why I stopped for a bit of a sleep. If that old hag finds us, we'll be thrown out for sure. And to tell the truth, I wouldn't mind being rid of this place. 
Have a seat, Basil. I have a feeling this will be the last bit of rest we'll get for some time. Another intuition? Something. Well, I'll block both doors so she can't sneak up on us here. Let's sit down and relax and... Hello, gentlemen. Were you hiding in the bed? I was. The whole time? Well, not the whole time. Carver, did she get anything on me? Any curling, crusted hairs? Flecks of bark-like skin? Strange scents like lavender covering up a bowel movement? Basil, you're fine. Madam, I'm sorry we left our lodgings, but this room is far superior to that cave you led us to below. This was the only other room open, but most of our returning patrons refused to stay here. And I didn't want you staying here either. Why ever not? Out of our price range? It carries a great History. Well, so does she, by George. Why, I reckon those watery cancer pouches she calls eyeballs have witnessed the lifetimes of a thousand pharaohs. Baz. And that papery skin that covers those disembodied rat tails she calls veins must have felt the frost of the last ice age. Basil. Do you remember when we were lads at the orphanage? When they'd lead us on excursions into the wilderness? We'd rove the old stream and splash about? While some of the boys had a proper swim, I lingered on the banks and poked about the mud. When I kicked about those smooth, river-burnished stones, one of them leapt suddenly away. I looked closer and saw it was a toad. A little dull gray toad lost amongst the muck and polished rock. I had reached down and quickly scooped him up. I felt his tiny heart racing in the wet of my palm, the smallness of his life force hammering against my own pulse. I pocketed the little thing away and stowed him all the way back to the orphanage where I hid him in an old din. Well, time went past as it always does, and my focus was drawn elsewhere. Studies and play, and play and studies. A month must have gone by when I remembered I had left him there, in the tin, under the bed. I rushed to the bedside and brought forth the tin, releasing the lid and the stench within. It burned my eyes and mingled with the tears spawned from my wretched self-loathing. Oh, the negligence! The culpability! I shifted the tin and peered inside and carver. I mean this with all sincerity. When I say that emaciated, desiccated, nearly disintegrated toad corpse was more pleasing to look at than that woman's face... Well, anyway, madam, uh, I'm not one to let history get in my way. In fact, I am a great lover of it. Would you care to hear it? The history? Oh, well, uh, Basil just had a bit of a long speech, and I'm not sure the payoff is quite worth it, so... Oh, this will be worth it, I assure you. Well... It'll be worth it. It's... It's actually kind of important. So... Ah... Okay. Ah, by all means, then, madam. Go on. This house, as you gentlemen can no doubt discern, is very old. That's not the only thing that's very... Basil, Baz, Baz, you had your turn. You really did. Now let's listen. (laughs) The house is old and has been in my family for many generations. Since I've been here, I have seen many unusual things in my tenure. One of the most 
Haunting, however, happened several decades ago. There was a man who frequented the house. He was a wild-looking fellow with untamed hair and harrowed eyes. A rover, some would say. He would drink past the midnight hour at one of the pubs and then stumble here at large for the night, often bringing along some harlot. But I do not think the man ever slept. He would stay up and tell the strangest stories you have ever heard. Old stories, he would say, older than you or I. He would talk of the Romans who marched across the continent, crucifying those who opposed them and leaving their corpses dangling from crosses along the supply road, building altars to their ancient god, and the blood and gore that would stain them even after months of rain. How they crossed the channel and began to conquer the people of Britain until those who came before finally held their advance. You would always say the Roman gods were true horrors, but the gods of those who came before, the gods of the native people, the people whose ancestors still walk among us now, well, there was no comparison, he would say. Because the Roman gods were made of stone. But our gods, oh, our gods were real. After several years of his sporadic patronage, his story became wilder still. He began inserting himself into these violent histories. Said his ancestors were the ones who ran the executions. The sacrifices to those ancient gods that helped to deter the Roman invaders. They were the executioners, he said, and he was the last of their line. But the weight he felt was too great, the death toll too heavy to carry. This was why, he explained, he would never plant his roots, never marry, never sire children. He would rove free and enjoy his life, and the line would end with him. Then, one fateful night, he arrived with one of his whores and handed me a purse of gold, demanding to be shown to his favorite room. I led him there and told myself it would be his last visit. Little did I know how right I would be. Shortly after I left him, a great cursing and shouting erupted. I rushed to the door and saw the horrible sight. He held the whore by the wrist and berated her. How could you be with tired? I cannot be a father. The line must end with me, he shouted. He then produced a terrible-looking blade and slashed at the woman. I did my best to intervene, but he threw me off. The line ends with me, he Bat as he fled into the night. The whore was bleeding, but still breathing. I called for help, and the midwife came to tend her. But that was the last I saw of that wild-looking man those many nights ago. And let me guess, this very room was the site of the murder? Most right. However, 
The manor was incomplete. Whatever do you mean, incomplete? The man had hoped to kill them both. Both? Both the mother and her unborn child. But the child lived when the woman perished. Poor wretch. Poor indeed. And when you arrived, holding the very dagger the man used to slay her, I was immediately reminded of that night. I beg your pardon? Do you not still have it with you? The horrible curved blade? The serrated edge? I would recognize it anywhere. Does she mean... The tickler's grin. I don't believe this carve. Carve? Carver, is it? Uh, Yes. So... You kept his surname after all these years. To whom are you referring, madam? And Carver is my first name. Ah, a detail they must have assumed would do no harm. The man who came here brandishing the blade you now carry was called Jacob Carver. And I'm almost afraid to say you are his very image. Then... Then... I am glad to see you have done so well for yourself. I admit I often thought of you in the years that passed. I couldn't expect you to remember me, but I was here. Right here on this very floor, helping the midwife pull you from your dying mother. This... this cannot be so. I, I was raised in the Beldor orphanage, miles and miles away. The very place we took you... We couldn't leave you in Grubgate House with a chance of growing up amongst those horrid garbage people. We wanted to give you a better chance than what your horrible father left you. I don't believe you. Why should I believe you? This is nothing but a ghost story. I wish it was, my dear. But the scar on your left forearm, the jagged one you can never explain, is from where that ghastly dagger caught you while you were still inside your mother's womb. Carver... How could she know about that? She couldn't. I, uh, I'm not. I'm not certain what to believe. One thing seems to be clear: this blasted dagger is somehow at the center of it all. We must see the man who sent us on its trail. We must return to Professor Hornsby quickly. I'm beginning to suspect the man may not be as mad as we were led to believe. But what if the police, the search at the museum? We'll have to risk it. And risk it, they did. But to their great surprise, they saw no police anywhere on their journey back to St. Morris Asylum. They returned without incident. But when they inquired after Professor Hornsby, they learned... The professor is no longer here. He was visited by a woman, since she was a member of the family. Beautiful, dark-haired lass with grey-green eyes. Oh, Oh, and she was wearing pants. Pants? I know. The woman from the Inn of the Circling Serpent. She went up for a visit and the two vanished. You've lost our sole surviving witness. Lost nothing. He was stolen. Let's have a look around anyway, Basil. We might be able to find some clue of his departure. As you say, Carver. Wait. What's this here? By the window. Hmm. These markings resemble those one would find at an excavation. Perhaps she wasn't just playing dress-up. Women do like to do that. I'd wager she used an excavating tool to chisel out the bars of the window to allow for their escape. If she's such a master excavator, perhaps she had something to do with the original disappearance of those great bones. And the disappearance of the men who were tasked with their unearthing. The size and depth of these scratches were made from a very specific tool. Go on, Carve. 
It's a mattock, no doubt. A dredge mattock. And if I had to venture a guess, I'd say it was made by Cornelius Ackerman. There's only one outfitting shop in London I know to carry such a tool, and that's Ackerman's very shop. Let's away then, Carver, you brilliant bone detective you. Yes, let's away. Runyon, what on earth are you doing here? And more importantly, why is your gun drawn? I want to be certain you don't elude me again. Elude you? You let us go, told us where to hide away. That's enough babbling. You're coming with me, both of you. Where will Constable Runyon lead our heroic duo? Is Carver's gruesome history connected to this change of heart? Will the garbage people of Grubgate begin a class war and trample the soft flesh bodies of the overprivileged upper class? Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective is brought to you by Weitzman's Turtle Wax. Wax that mother <laughs> turtle till he squirts. <laughs> Yes, yes, what an episode, what rapture, what blessed release, oh, what pitiful worms we are when illuminated by the floodlight of majesty produced by Carver Grainbottom, Bone Detective. I want to give myself to you, Carver Grainbottom, body and soul, oh, Oh, but I am not worthy. I am not. Oh, cut me. Shame me. Kill me if it gives you, yes, you, Carver Cranebottom, even a moment of the most perfunctory and forgettable pleasure, you magnificent, ecstatic god. <laughs> Join us next week for more Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective. Rude Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Wertner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective story by Mr. Wertner and Mr. Kane. This episode written by Mr. Kane, edited by Mr. Wertner, featuring the voices of Rude Alchemy with Ms. Julia Stroop as the woman on the stairs. Music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Robb. The Garbage People of Grubgate, written by Mr. Kane, and performed by Rude Alchemy with Mrs. Ashley Hodgkin, Ms. Julia Stroop, Mrs. Angela Wertner, and Ms. Bethany Woodhouse. For a listing of Creative Commons sound effects attributions, visit rudealchemy.com slash attributions. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And finally, don't you even mention his name to me, Denise. I should have to hear his name in my house. In my house, Denise! Hi, we're your good friends at the Internal Revenue Service with some exciting news. You just may get audited this year. <laughs> but I know what you're thinking. Gee, I want to make sure I get every nickel possible squeezed out of me during this audit. But who will take care of my kids? Why, the IRS daycare. Yes, during your grueling ordeal, your kids will be in this spacious room where they can play without care. Hello, little boy. What's your name? Tommy. My, you brought a lot of toys with you. Yeah, this jet plane's my favorite. Too bad, because it's ours now. Hey, what? Hey. And we'll take this ball, what? this car, what? and this Nintendo what? DS. Those are my toys. Daddy gave them to me. Oh, in that case, we should estimate how many toys he'll give you next year and take this and this and this and this. You didn't leave me anything. Have fun, Tommy. Sir, we've got a problem in the corner. That big kid is knocking the little kids down and taking everything they have. I'll take care of this. You, you there. Yes, you the bully. You have quite the future working for the IRS. <laughs> the IRS daycare. It's about time your kids learned about real life. The Mutual Audio Network. 
Listening and imagining together.